0: Hello and welcome to episode 54 of The Thing About Golf, Golf Australia's ongoing journey into the minds of golfers at every level of the game to try to answer that eternal question, why do we play? On this episode, we're going to take a journey of a different kind. Carl Morris is one of the game's most highly respected coaches and co-author of the hugely popular and successful series of Lost Art Books. Unlike many instruction tomes, The Lost Art of Golf, The Lost Art of Putting, and the soon to be released Lost Art of the Short Game focus less on technique and more on the mental and perhaps even emotional aspects of golf. Carl is a deep thinker and a genuine lover of the game, and like many, it is for him much, much more than just a job or a game. Having worked with some of the very best players of the last 20 years, there's much wisdom in what Carl has to say, and with barely a mention of physical technique, it would be a shock if your own game didn't improve simply by taking on board some of what Carl has to say. Early in the interview, Carl notes that, and I quote, The rules of golf are to shoot the lowest score possible, but the purpose of golf is for everyone to decide for themselves. He's a really interesting thinker, and I hope you enjoy... This in-depth chat with Carl Morris. Well, Carl Morris, we'll start where we always do by saying thank you. The thing about golf is a commitment, so we do appreciate you taking the time. And as I said to you just before we press the button, the clues in the title. What's the thing about golf for Carl Morris?
1: Well, thanks for having me. First of all, it's uh, it's great to be great to be with you. Um, the thing about golf, my goodness, that's uh, that's such a broad question, isn't it? I mean, it's uh, it's a mixture of a, of a puzzle and enigma. A spiritual journey. It's um, and I think I think what it always comes back to. Rod, for me, um, I say to the most of the players that I, I work with, the most important question that you can ever ask is why? Why do I play golf? And I often say to people, don't take the first answer because the first mm-hmm. answer will perhaps be something that you've heard that you think you should say, but really dig a little bit deeper as to the reasons why you play the game of golf you know the 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 rules of golf are that you're supposed to score as low as possible that the purpose of golf is is for you to decide and I think that's that's up to every individual to ask that ask that question and have a good think about it because if you can really stay connected to the reasons why you play the game I think your experience gets uh, potentially transformed My goodness, there's a lot to unpack in that, Carl. That's an
0: (laughs) astounding answer. I want to go right back to the very first point that you made there. Don't take your first answer. What, in your experience, is most people's first answer? And why do you say that they shouldn't accept that answer?
1: It's not necessarily that they shouldn't accept it, right? It's It's just that sometimes that the first answer really is kind of programming that they've got from the culture of the game. You know, some people, when you say, why do you play golf? They'll say, oh, to improve. To get my handicap down, things like that, which is which is fine if that's the real reasons why you play. But often, when you dig a little bit deeper for people, what they what they really truly enjoy is is the is maybe the the the, the thrill of creating a golf shot, that the, the sheer joy of actually moving a golf ball from A to B, which goes back to the probably the very first experiences that they had of the game. And also, the other thing that that um, a lot of people initially get so much pleasure out from the game is just to be outside. I know it sounds, know it sounds trite, but it's just to be in nature. Not after you know, lockdown, it
0: doesn't, Carl. I think that probably resonates no, with people yeah. a lot more and, and than you, it did you guys like have had two it. years
1: ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guys have had it particularly tough, haven't you? I know, I know that. Um, so, so, the, so the, these things, and as I say. You know, often the first answer is 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 really what you've been conditioned to believe mm-hmm. is the reason why you play the game of golf. Because, you know, every every golf magazine will be about getting your handicap down, hitting it further, and all that kind of stuff, which is great. There's nothing nothing wrong with that, and that might be a couple of levels down. But actually, the, the maybe the true reason why you, you play the game. Let's say is that is that connection with nature? Is that is that sheer thrill and joy of creating a golf shot? is being with your pals out in the open, whatever it may be. But when you get real clarity on on your personal reasons for playing the game, I think the experience can be be massively improved. We'll come
0: back to some of those things because they can trip people up and turn them against the game ultimately, can't they, when they focus on those things about getting handicaps out and those sorts of things. Aside from that, On another podcast some time ago, myself and a colleague interviewed Peter Thompson's son, Andrew, fabulous speaker, wonderful guy, great thinker about the game himself, Uh, not a player like his dad, but a a lifetime golfer and a hickory golfer, and he suggested there's something primal about golf. I've always felt there must be something different about golf and the passion that it ignites in people. Do you? Would you agree with that, or have you ever given that any thought? There's lots of passionate people about football and cricket, but it's a different thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, the, the word the word primal the word primal that you use there Rod, I think is, uh, is is really instructive. I mean, you know, a lot of people love to dance, and that's I think that's a primal thing, mm-hmm. isn't it? For moving our body in in a rhythm, and then you sort of explore the primal route with golf. If we go back to you know caveman days, we were we were slinging things with with arrows and throwing things to targets and stuff like that, basically to survive. So I think moving an object to a target, as you say, can, could be a, a primal, a primal instinct. And it just, you know, I, I'm often often reminded of the of the experiences that I've had over the years. You know, just just to go up to the golf club on a on a summer's night and hit a few putts, and there's nothing on it. It doesn't mean anything. But as the sun's dropping down, just rolling a ball from 20 feet and letting it fall into the right edge of the cup just inherently feels good. There's a, there's a sense of achievement in something that doesn't mean anything really to anybody anywhere in the world has got no value to anybody anywhere in the world but has real value to you because you've, you've, you've created a shot from nothing. You've, you've, you've looked at a line on a putt, you've studied it, you've, you've, you've judged that it's going to come in, break from right to left. And your body's organised movement around that intention. And when that's completed, there is a primal, as you said, there's a, there's a primal thrill to that, to that construction of a golf shot. Yeah.
0: I wonder if that's connected in some way. Once, someone once told me that a, a, an actuary, a mathematician, had tried to calculate what's involved in the simple act of throwing a ball up in the air and catching it again. It's staggering, the number of <laughs> calculations that need to be made in split seconds for the And we do it without thinking. Assumes and there's a satisfaction I suspect that perhaps golf taps into because it's slightly more complex than just throwing a ball up and catching it, isn't it? There's a you say the putt you've got to read it, you've got to pick the right pace, you've got to all they come and then you've got to hit it and and then it goes in. There's a lot's happened before that goes in the hole, isn't there?
1: There is and, and you've, again you've 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 hit on something really important there. You know you said that we 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 throw a ball up in the air and catch it and we do it we do it without thinking. I think there was um. I think there was a study somewhere done about around about baseball and and the idea that I mean I, I know I know nothing about about baseball but obviously I know a little bit about cricket which I wasn't going to mention after the uh, the result the other night in the uh, in in the in the T20 because I'm sure you're going to be able to get me back when the, uh, the the test series starts but but anyway I think there was a study there was a study done in baseball um about the what had to happen when the outfielder, the, you know, the batter hits the ball into the outfield. And the amount of calculations that, that need to be done in the brain of the outfielder to be able to run and catch the ball is just absolutely staggering. Uh, and the, kind of, the study kind of concluded it's not really possible. You shouldn't be able to do that. But we do. We manage to do it. But as you said, we, we do it without conscious thinking. We do it without conscious thought and so much of the trouble that we get in with golf is we is when we employ too much conscious thinking when we when we're trying to tell our body what to do by by directing it to move in certain ways that's where most people uh, end up getting tripped up with this game you plug into a bunch of stuff about golf that I really
0: want to talk about and it's always seemed to me that golf attracts in equal numbers the artists the sevy and the engineers hogan and that both of those polar op- or opposite ends of the spectrum have had success in golf. Is there an explanation for that? I'm not sure that's true in other sports, and I might be wrong because I don't know much about other sports. But it doesn't feel like that's true in other sports.
1: I think I think what what happens with, with that, Roddy. I think the the engineers, the ones who do get into the technicalities of the game, are actually once they go and play are actually smart enough to go back to being the artist in the sense that, you know, if you, if you take a modern day player, Podraig Harrington, you know, who's, who's renowned for tinkering around with his golf swing and always working on something in his swing. But he's often said that he's never had a swing thought on the golf course in his wow. life. He, he just goes out there and he, and he plays golf. He, he, he allows his he allows himself to create an image of the shot he's trying to play, and allows his body to react to that. Now, of course, the the training that he's done assists him with that. You know, Nick Faldo is another one that you you, you definitely put in the, in the kind of mm. engineer scientist camp. But you know, more recently, I've I've, I've seen so many things that, that that Nick Faldo has done where he where he basically said that once he got out on the golf course, he would be very much into. Simple feels and simple, very much into creating shots. I saw um, um, a workshop that he did, a clinic that he did. I think it was in Florida, and he was talking about he had he had four different draws and four different fades, and and, and he gave all those shots a, a particular name. You know, a chicken wing and a, a slinger and knuckleball or whatever it, whatever it was, uh-huh. and 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 that got me really thinking. Wow, that he had the ability to be ultra technical in terms of you know working on the on the swing maybe on the range but he had that ability to flip that switch and then become much more of the artist when he when he got out on the golf course. And I think that's what the real geniuses do. Now you mentioned Sevi at the beginning you know Sevy Sevi was the ultimate artist, but his career was destroyed when he ended up becoming an engineer. Uh, and he got so much information, and he got so much, so many. He had so many coaches that, that that in the end, the only shots that Seve could play in the end. I know his body was going, and he would had injuries and things mm. like that. But the only shots he could play in the end was was when he was in trouble. Yeah. And he and he and he literally had to create a shot. He had to knock it, you know, through some trees, or he had to had to bend it around a lake or or whatever. You know, there's that famous match he played in the Ryder Cup against Tom Lehman. Anybody else in the layman was at the top of his game, and he might even have been world number one. And and after I think after 11, 12 holes, Sebi was level. And, and, and anybody else in the world where, where Sebi's ball had gone off the tee would have, would have been, you know, they'd, they'd have been already walking back to the clubhouse. That 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 lost sort of 10, ten and eight kind of thing. And that was the only only shots he could play was when he was in trouble because he got so lost in the in the technicalities of the game. Um, and lost his artistry. Is there more of that? We're going to come to your series of
0: books soon. It's The Lost Art of, and you've got Lost Art of Golf, Lost Art of Putting, and about to be released, or perhaps by the time this episode is released, the book will be out, The Lost Art of the Short Game. Have we gone, or is golf, the temptation as humans, I think, is to try to solve the puzzle logically. Can we do that completely with golf? We see the the, the decade system that Scott Fawcett, uh, endorses these days. Oh, not endorses, he, he came up with this notion. It's an extremely scientifically factually based approach to the game. I don't find it a particularly interesting way to think about the game, but that's not the point. Mm. Is it ultimately effective? Can those systems and can that technical thinking I'll go to two of the examples you give in the lost art of the short game. Explain Tigers chip on 16 at the Masters in 05 and Seve's bump and run between the bunkers, which still looks unfeasible every time you see it on YouTube. At, it was at Birkdale, I think, in
1: 76. 76. Yeah.
0: Um, can that accounting system, can that logical thinking, can it explain those things and can it help us achieve those things?
1: I... I, I I first of all say I and mean, that's a huge question Rod, and I would first of all say if you you know if you use that kind of approach and that kind of thinking and, and your game has improved and you've got better I would say well whatever you do don't don't stop doing that but for me so much so much logical analysis does dull the creativity that you've just described two of the you know two of the greatest shots that's ever been played there you know tiger's shot on 16 in the masters. And Sevy's little pitch and run through the bunker at Birkdale in, in, in 76. And I don't I don't think, if you, if you watch Tiger play that shot, I mean, everybody listening to this podcast, I think would do their game a huge favour by actually watching that shot that Sevy played, in the, um, the, that Tiger played in the Masters. On the 16th hole, DeMarco's on the bottom edge of the green. The commentator said, I think it was Curtis Strange, said, I don't don't think there's any way you can get this inside DeMarco's ball, which was about 30 30 feet away. But just watch Tiger go through his process before the shot. And you'll see some interesting things. You'll see his eyes are actually moving very slowly. And and as his eyes move very slowly, I'm sure they're actually really creating a landing spot and the rollout of the golf ball into the hole." And then also, if you watch his lips, he almost seems to be verbalizing to himself what he what he's aiming mm-hmm. to do. He's verbalizing the shot, so he's in he's in he's in a very very creative, imaginative state, you know. And, and I don't think he's he's trying to solve that puzzle by by pure logic alone and and, and pure analytical left brain thinking. He's, 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 he's in, his imagination is on fire. And then obviously he plays the shot; it lands perfectly, and it was the it was the ultimate it was the ultimate marketer's dream, wasn't it? As the ball, as the crowd erupted, and the, that famous sort of. Clip where the ball just comes to a rest, yeah. almost the Nike logo that's shows insane. up, and then and then falls falls into the. They're not even in know, the, the business great-
0: anymore, and it's still the most famous shot of a golf ball in the history of golf balls.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know the the most the, the, the most incredible piece of free advertising yeah. that's ever been had in the history of uh, history of sports. Yes. So, you know, maybe that answers the question. Maybe it doesn't, but I I, I do think for a lot of people, the more into technical analysis that they go my experience is that it kind of jams the system and the more that they go down that route the more they tie themselves up in knots the creativity is dulled as you say it's not particularly pleasurable I think for a lot of people it's not particularly enjoyable but it does it does get in the way of that creative side of the brain that, that can play shots like Seve did through the through the bunker at, at Birkdale. Again, for people listening to this, have a look at that shot. It oh, has, the, 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 the commentary is wonderful because as the ball just finds its way through that tiny little runway and comes to rest four feet from the flag, Henry Longus, the old commentator, said that's not possible. <laughs> and and Sevy had just created a moment of sheer magic from his imagination.
0: Yeah. Sevy talked about, didn't he, famously letting the movies run in his head before picking the shot, that there would be multiple movies for any shot and he would let them play until the one that made the most sense stood out and then he'd get to work on creating that shot. Now, there's been books, university courses people have studied for as long as we get, how that relationship works. Because there is a relationship, isn't there, between that technical. You can scientifically explain the club head speed, the dynamic lofted impact of Tiger's shot, where it landed, the spin on the ball, the effect of gravity with the pitch of the green. It can all be explained technically should you choose to break it down. But that won't help you play that shot, will it? No.
1: Well, it's a bit like it's a bit like a Formula One driver. You know, there's immense, there's an immense amount of complexity going on under the under the bonnet of the car, isn't there? in, in, in a Formula One car, you know, the, the the technicalities that are behind the wheels and the engines and the fuel and all, and all of that kind of stuff. That the, the you know these huge teams that they have in Formula One. I know nothing about Formula One, but you know the huge teams that they have in Formula One. But you can. You can absolutely bet hundred percent that those drivers, the Lewis Hamiltons, and Raikkonen, and all these guys—they're out there. They're not th- obviously they're not thinking about any of those things. They're actually just they—they are just creating movement with a wheel around a track at high speed. Now you may, you mentioned the images, Rod, and, and I think that's a really important element for <clears throat> for everybody listening. Is that is that it's often said that golf. What makes golf a difficult game? It's it's not a reaction sport like 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 cricket is or, or rugby or football, but actually it is. Golf is a reactionary sport in the sense that you react to the images in your head before you actually step into the shot. Now you you've just hit on something absolutely, I think, central to to people improving. You know the images that you play in your head before you step into the shot. Are going to inform the movement that your body makes. Now, if you've got a very, very clear image of your intention, if you've got a if you if, if the movie that you've picked is very conducive to the shot, I think I think it's amazing how, how the body can organize movement around that. Because even relatively high handicappers can experience this. You know, you'll see a guy you know stuck in the trees, he may be on you know 18, 19, 20 handicap. And if he's only if he's only literally got one shot that he can play, and there's just a gap in the trees, and he's got to hook the ball around the trees or whatever, you'll even see relatively you know high handicap golfers producing those shots because the, the shot is so clearly been created by the conditions. Now there's a, there's a, there's a hint of something really important there because that's the golf course creating the images when. What we're talking about here is that most shots you need to be able to create those images yourself. You need to you need to run the movies in your mind before you step into the shot that will allow your body to organize movement to produce what you've seen in your mind's eye, like that putt that we mentioned on the putting green. Can that be taught? What do what do people need to know or learn about visualization? How to use it? I think what it what it can be done. is is that you can you can play around with it and you can experiment with it and i I think visualization the the word actually can can lead people down the wrong track because visualization obviously suggests that you've got a a really clear image in your mind you've got a picture in your mind now not everybody not everybody works that way um you know over the years, I've I've heard so many golfers say because I lost, I'll, I'll often say, "Tell me about the best golf that you've ever played," because we often we, we, we don't often ask that question. You know, we'll we'll, we'll usually say, "What's wrong with your game?" Yeah. or why, "Why are you struggling, buddy?" But actually, I'm more interested in what what do you do when you do it well, and and the number of times I've heard people say, "The best golf I've ever played was I was at I was at St Andrews and I had a caddy." And what the caddy did on every hole was just say, right, you've got to hit it on that on that uh-huh. hotel on the right hand side. You've got to hit it on that bunker and fade it off that bunker on the left hand side of the fairway. So sometimes a, a verbal description can really be the key that unlocks the door for somebody. So I would suggest that for people to go out on the golf course and a chipping green or whatever and play around with this, experiment with it, just get big be, be, be childlike again. And, and ask yourself the question: What does a good shot look like here? And you know, you might you might answer it. Your brain might come up with an image of the shot. But when you ask the question, "What does a good shot look like here?" you might you might actually just verbalise it. You might just say, "Well, it's a, just a it's just a pitch and run through that bunker on the right hand side, and it's going to feed out to the flag." And sometimes it's the verbal description that can actually. Say be the key that unlocks the unlocks the door for you. You know you see it you see it on tour all the time, don't you? The best players in the world, I think the ones who work really well with the caddy. The caddy's asking them a question: "What do you like here, or what's the shot here?" And and the player is verbalising that Um, because verbal, verbal and visual together is a really powerful combination. Really really powerful. How do people learn, Carl? You've been teaching, coaching,
0: mentoring, helping people for. I don't know how many years. Tell me, it's decades, there hundreds, and possibly thousands of people over that time. What what are the common traits that we share? What do we share? what What do we What do we get wrong? What do we get right? Just instinctively as humans.
1: Yeah, I think just what we've been touching on, Rod. Really, I think we instinctively try and solve the game. We we, we try and solve it as a as a as a as a linear puzzle, and it and it, and it just isn't. You know that. People love the idea of consistency. And, you know, when you, when you ask a golfer, can you, can you, can you control your golf swing? They'll always say, well, I should be able to do. Well, then you say, well, you know, which player in the, in the history of the game actually eliminated bad shots? You know, Mo Norman didn't Ben Hogan didn't, they got close, but, Mm. but they didn't do it. Tiger Woods, even at his best, didn't, didn't eliminate bad shots. So actually, you know, you can't con- you can't 100% control your golf ball. You can't 100% control y- y- your golf swing. But actually, and here's the paradox: is the more that you try to control it, the more that you over over control it and get too involved in the controlling of it, the more that you get in the way of the of the process. So it's it's kind of like the-, the the giving up some control to gain some control. Really, that we're that we're looking, looking to explore, you know, the, 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 the freedom that you can, that you can, I, I, I've just, one of the things that I mentioned in the, in the book in, in, what, in I think it was a lost art of, of playing golf was uh, something I, I always remember doing years ago with a group of golfers. We were out in Portugal and, the group had been struggling a little bit and we we're on one of the, we shouldn't have done it really, but we were on one of the tees out on out the far part, part of the course. And it was a bit slow that day. There was plenty of people on the golf course and I had some practice balls with me. And these guys were, these guys had been struggling because it was a tight golf course. And I said, let's just set a few balls free. And they looked at me and said, what, what, what do you mean? And, and I said, All right, let's just let's just you've been struggling with your game. Let's see if you can hit these shots and see if you can miss the C. So I just pegged it up, and they've got the C in front, and obviously you can't miss the C. It's a it's a pretty pretty wide canvas, and I'll never forget the shots that came out, the freedom because all of a sudden they stopped trying to control it so much, and they just let the thing go, set the golf balls free and the noise off the club face and the freedom in the movement it was uh, i I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that it was it was it, you know nothing nothing changed with the players. Other than the perception of what they were what they were trying to do and, and it completely freed them up and movement was organized that that managed to just hit some beautiful golf shots.
0: So there's a lot to unpack in what you say there as well about the childlike nature of just whacking balls into the sea and what that perhaps unlocks. But I was thinking while you were talking earlier about that that, that whole concept of sort of giving up a bit of control to gain some control. Is it too deep, too hippie-ish to say
1: there is some mirroring of life in that? No, I don't think it's too hippie ish at all, at all. It's uh, uh, my, my word, we're getting some deep, deep waters here, aren't right? <laughs> Well, I, mean, I, I, I love this. Yeah, we yeah, do I thought,
0: because but- I do think there are some of us. Uh, one, of, one of the things I always like to think is there's two types of people in the world there are golfers and there are non golfers. Not all people who play golf are golfers, and not all people who don't play golf are non golfers. There's something more about golf, I think, and I think some of us are very lucky to discover it. Because we can ruminate on these things and enjoy chewing on them, but I do think that some would look for me and say, "What are you? Some kind of crazy hippie? It's just a game." But is there something in that what you said? No, I think
1: you're you're absolutely right that if you if you, if you broaden it out to life itself, you know, trying to over control life, the flow of life, does get in a lot of people's way. You know, I think you know you could you could look at a million different areas of life whether it be relationships or business or whatever it is you know if you look at if you look at business if you look at sales I think I think the the, the greatest salesmen and women are, are actually not not that bothered about the outcome because what they what they what they are very good at is just getting into the getting into the process that enables a sale you know they're very good at, at at face-to-face communication they're very good at rapport building they're very good at engaging people you know and, and often the best sales people don't really sell anything as, as such it's not it's not an over sell it's just a it's just a flow of energy between two people that culminates in a, in a sale and I think you know the people who probably struggle are the ones who are so stressed about the targets and they're so hung up about I've got to close these deals and and obviously the pressures of life are out there, you know, I would, I would be the first to sort of say that that can be tough for, for a lot of people, especially at the moment. But, but yeah, you know, in answer to that question, there, there, there there's, there's strong parallels with trying to over control your life and trying to over control your golf ball, a one in a one in the same thing, you know, trying to control people around you and trying to get people to do certain things that you believe is the right way for them. But, but actually, the more you try and do that, the more that it, it actually halts the process.
0: So Creating that, as you say, they're not selling, people are buying. They're creating the conditions to allow yeah. people to buy and then people do buy. It's interesting, that notion of being in the process brings us to the nub of why do we play golf? I imagine there's a million different answers, but there must be a common theme to a lot of people, I'd imagine. Frank Thomas, who used to be with the USGA once told me, it was a, I thought it was a brilliant description. The key to golf remaining fun is that the level of challenge has to be right. And his idea was Mm. take a piece of paper, screw it up, hold it over a waste paper basket and drop it. There's no challenge in that. There's no fun. Move the basket Mm. away from you in increments of two feet and you'll eventually get to a point where it's impossible and it won't hold your interest. But there'll be an area in between where grown men can sit all afternoon trying to throw the piece of screwed up paper into the basket and it will hold their attention because the balance is just right. Does, is, is the balancing golf still right
1: today? And again, I think that's that's a great point and I think it's it's very important that we, we encourage the game where you, you, you're matching the, the ability levels with the, with the perceived difficulty levels. You know, there's the, there's the is it the Yerkes-Dodson uh, inverted curve of, of uh, task and stress, and you know if there's a certain amount of stress, it's it's enjoyable and engaging. But when you create too much stress, mm-hmm. it becomes it becomes destructive and and, and and detrimental. And that's why, you know, the great beauty of this game is is that you can put somebody on the forward tees. You know, you can we we you can get a high handicap, probably more so now than than ever with the world handicapping system, but. But I think it's very, very important that, that that players are are able to sort of match their their ability levels with the test that they give themselves. You know, I often I often think, you know, some of the some of the places people play golf, some of the really toughest golf courses in the world, and they go out there and they're off 24 handicap and you know they're gonna lose 18 golf balls. Is that is that really is that really great fun? If it is great, I'm not I'm not sure for a lot of people that is where the the mismatch between the challenge and the ability is uh, is too great. We've probably got a bit off the topic. I want to bring you to some of the uh, particularly the lost art
0: of the short game because I think it's it's an area of the game where even high handicappers can get much better simply by thinking better, can't they? That's probably true of the whole game. I remember Craig Parry once told me if he caddied for an 18 handicapper for one round, he could save them 10 shots. But just by telling them how a professional thinks without increasing their own ability at all. I really wanted to test that in the magazine and we never got the opportunity. I think that'd be a, a fabulous segment for a probably magazine. Probably not
1: far off though, to be honest, Rob. He was,
0: oh, he, he wasn't joking. He was convinced. He said, oh, absolutely. No question I could. I found that an intriguing sort of notion because we always think the high handed, the, the duffed shots and the thins and the fans, no idea where the ball's going or going to end up next. None of that's got to do with thought. But of course, the way you respond to those situations, your own temperament, there's, there's a lot in that, isn't there? And the short game probably is a lovely microcosm of what happens in the long game in the way we approach it. Do, would you agree? Talk a little bit about the short game and, and the way we think about it that, maybe isn't helpful and some of the ways we could think about it that might be more helpful without even thinking about the grip the stance open club faces and all the rest of it that we know we've read a million times
1: yeah if 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 you look at what 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 the game is fun, fundamentally what are you what are you trying to do when you when you play golf well you, there's, there's a ball sat on the ground and the ball needs to go to a specific spot somewhere out in the distance. So there's a ball sat here and there's a target out there. And we it's a problem, we've got to solve the problem. Now what we're given to solve the problem is 14 tools. You know, when you're on the when you're on the green, the 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 best tool to move a ball on the green because we want the ball to go along the ground is obviously is a, is a putter, you know, nobody with any, I'm going to say nobody with any sense would stand, stand on a green with a wedge trying to chip (laughs) it in. But there's probably some people that even tried that if they've been struggling with the putting, but, but you know, the tool, the tool on the putting green is the putter because it, it makes the ball stay along the ground. It it rolls the ball on the ground. There's a, a a small amount of loft to get it going. And then it it and the ball goes end over end. So people are, are very clear with a putter, even, you know, even, um, crazy golf and and you know adventure golf, you can get somebody literally literally off the off the street, and you, you put a putter in the hand and they've kind of got an idea yeah. what how it, how it works. You know they've got a, they've got an implement in the hand. They know the ball's supposed to roll along the floor, and they you know they might not look particularly uh, efficient, but they'll get the job done. They'll you know you don't you don't need coaching to go and play crazy golf. Uh-huh. You know, you just get out there and you play it because there's a there's, there's an understanding of what the implement in your hand is meant to do. It's meant to roll the ball along the floor. That's then where the problem begins, and, and it's the, the short grip game is a great entry point. The problem with golf, the fundamental problem with golf begins for virtually everybody when they start to play the game, and for an awful lot of golfers, it's the concept that gets in the way of any progress. Is that now when you when you're away from the green, we now know that the ball's got to go up in the air. Because we want the ball to go up in the air and we want it to land on a certain spot and then and then run out. So the the brain, being the smart cookie that it is, says, like, okay, well, what do I know that's similar to that? If I want to get something up in the air, I, I with a racket, I, I sort of lean backwards and I make an upward movement. So what we bring to golf without a clear understanding, is the concept that we're trying to lift the ball. You know, you look at every beginning golfer mm-hmm. until they've had some instruction. They're stood there with the with the weight on the back foot and the hands are flicking and scooping and trying to get the ball up in the air. And, you know, if, if they tee the ball high enough, they get, it, get, they get away with it. And that kind of action can manifest itself and stay in the golf swing to some degree for an awful long time. Only when you begin to understand that actually what we're trying to do is get the golf club to brush the ground and because the golf has because the club has a slope on it it says called loft and the, the ball and the club compre- the, the, the club compresses the ball and makes it jump up in the air now how does that how does that sort of work its way into your short game well when you get into your wedges and we understand what the wedges are, are meant to do and how bounce works when you can get people to really understand the golf club, you know Gary, who's put the technical element Gary Nichol into the into the short game book. You know has a great a great phrase that he, he talks about that the the leading edge of the wedge gets you into trouble, and the back mm. edge gets you out of trouble. Now, if there's if there's if there's one image I'd want everybody listening to this podcast to have in the mind, it's what we call surf the turf, where basically what we're trying to do with the with the wedges is get the back edge to just simply brush against the ground we're going to surf the turf now if that happens the loft on the club will pop the ball up in the air and just just that very simple concept But if you can get somebody to understand that in the short game and and the principle applies you know nine iron eight iron wedge whatever if, you, if they can understand that simple concept they can build a great golf game around you know an extension of the short game it's it's you know fundamentally it's understanding i've got a, i've got a tool in my hand how do i use this tool what do i need to do to actually use this tool efficiently you talked about primeval stuff before you know it's a primeval no, nobody really makes a mistake hopefully of using a knife and fork because we're very we're very aware of the fork does this, the knife does that, and we manage to get food into our mouth. That's actually quite a complex pr- process, but the, b- but there's real clarity on what the tool is meant to do. You know, most people manage to negotiate brushing their teeth in the morning because they're very clear on what the implement in the hand is supposed to do. And we we say in the in in the book, you know, in the in the in the short game book, that golf is probably the only sport where there's a huge disconnect between people that the, the tool in the hand and actually what they're trying to do you know golfers are obsessed with what's my body doing what's my shoulders doing what are my hips doing what's my head doing all those kind of things with the body when actually what you really need to be tuned into is what am i trying to get this implement in my hand to do what's the best way of using this tool in my hand to actually produce the shot that i intend how have we got there carl
0: it hasn't been, people have been sitting around in back rooms, twirling their evil mustaches and coming up with ways to confuse golfers. How have we got here? Because of course, everything you say makes perfect sense. And 200 years ago, there weren't instruction books and magazines. I don't think there wasn't, there wasn't the plethora of information that we've got now. Now we've got YouTube and Instagram as well. And we've got all sorts of patterns that you can follow and, and all that sort of thing. How did we sort of get here, do you think? And why do we as golfers continue to buy it? Every golfer knows this scenario. Stand on the putting ground before you play, chatting to your mate, casually and only half concentrating bashing balls at a hole, 20 feet away, and four out of five will go in. Stand up and try to hole them, and you'll miss all five almost every time. There's something in that,
1: isn't there? There is definitely something in that, yeah. And I think it links into what we said earlier on about Trying to control and over controlling, but what you just said about the technicalities, you know that that comes squarely back to the, the you know the evolution. I think of of, of media and of in, of instruction. You know, go back in time. People generally go far enough back. People generally learn to play golf on a golf course. They got out there and the and the and they played. You know, I had a I had a um, you know one of your compatriots, I don't know whether he's been on your show, Sandy Jameson. He oh yes. Fantastic. Yeah. Sandy's a fantastic oh. coach. Yeah. Um, you know, I've known him from way back when he was teaching top players and he got disillusioned with teaching top players and now he just coaches coaches beginning beginning golfers You're with one go- club. Absolutely. That if you've played golf before, Sandy doesn't want to know you. <laughs> he just, no he's not he's not interested he, and, 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 and is and his sort of reason to be is to get people out onto the golf course as quickly as possible not the idea that you need 20 lessons before you go anywhere near the course get you on the golf course but a real simple understanding of of, of what the golf club is meant to do the one club that you've got got in, in, in your hand so coming back to your, your point I think what we've what we've done is 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 create something, that, that is intellectually stimulating but educationally redundant mm-hmm. in the sense that, and a lot of this analysis, it's very interesting. It, it, can, it can fuel the ego like you cannot believe that the idea that I, I, I've got a set of secrets that you don't know and I'm going to impart my wisdom to you. But actually, for an awful lot of people, that doesn't transform into any improvement. What, what what really does is the is the, old, is, is the person themselves, their own experience. And, you know, very often it's because the, the real simple stuff is effective, but it's tough to keep selling magazines on, yeah. you know, use the club efficiently, you know, use the back edge of the club efficiently in the short game. It's a tough sell that. But when you start talking about ground reaction forces, uh, and you know, <laughs> pressure plates, power, hinge, power hinges yeah. and, Power hinges and all this kind of stuff. Oh, there's a secret there. I don't know. I need to I need to spend $200 on, on getting that secret from somebody else. Which is all quite harmless
0: and people have been spending money and trying to improve their golf for a long time rather than face the fact that if they just practiced a bit and took on board some of the things you were saying, perhaps their golf would improve anyway. A lot of people would point to the camera, Carl, say this is where this processor – once people could see the golf swing from outside because – Feel versus real is an ongoing discussion in golf. Once you could see it from outside and then the video camera comes along and now track man and all those sorts of technologies. They're all dots on a linear progressive theme, aren't they? That just gives you more. A, so, so with cameras, we get position golf. Here's Bobby Jones. This is the club. This is where the position his club is in is at this point. This is the, this is the position you need to try to get the club in
1: rather than you need to try and hit the ball over there.
0: They're two different things, aren't they?
1: Completely, yeah, and I mean, what you what you do when you when you video a golf swing and you isolate a single position, you're breaking down a flow of motion. Now, the the, the 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 golf club ends up in positions in the swing as a result of a flow of motion. When you try and isolate those positions, again, you know, to repeat something we've said all morning, Rob. You know, I think we 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 get in the way of that process. You mentioned video. You know, video was supposed to be the great answer, wasn't it? You know, once we once we could see our golf swings, we could we could fix them. Well, I'd ask people who are listening to the podcast, how did that work <laughs> out? Because mo- most people go from, you know, the, the, I've lost count of the number of stories in the pre-video age. You know, people who said, I've never seen my golf swing on video and as and i played off two handicap and as soon as i saw it I hated you know it. <laughs> and i and I, real, I realized how bad in quotes the yeah. swing was yeah. i i could never i could never play again you know um susie Mayers, is another great coach that i know really well has, has talked about that I, you know she she'd never had a lesson in her life and, and played on the pga tour the lpga tour and then eventually had a lesson where there was a video involved, and you know it, it, it virtually well, it, it 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 ruined her playing career. I'm not saying video shouldn't be used. I mean, mm-hmm. anybody listening to this who's a pro don't, don't sort of crash the car. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> saying that, but it needs to be used. It needs to be used very, very mindfully and and, and sparingly. What I would say, you know, doffing the cap to, to modern day technology, I do think I do think launch monitors are, are incredibly beneficial. They've skipped that step, monitor, haven't they? They
0: haven't done the position thing, have they, Carl? I've said this is what's happening at the, the moment of truth.
1: The only thing that the launch monitor does is give you the truth mm. of the moment of truth. You know, when ball and club, when club and ball collide with each other, it tells you exactly what you're doing, and you can then work with the coach on influencing that that vital part of the golf swing, the only part that really matters you can use it whereas video tends to lend itself to opinion you know you'll see the swing and somebody says oh you're too flat you're too upright you're too this you're too that a video is very opinion based whereas launch monitors are very factual very factual very fact based and you can you know you can work with the truth you can work with the truth and again what's the best way of influencing impact is is having an awareness of what the club in your hand is supposed to do, what the tool in your hand is supposed to do.
0: It's almost uh, a a move back to old school, isn't it? The great golf coaches of the past watched the ball flight. They listened to the sound and they watched the flight of the ball only because they didn't have the implement that would do all the measuring at that point of impact. But that's what they were doing, weren't they? They were figuring out what was going on at the point of impact and then having the player change something previously to change what's happening at the point of impact. Because the interesting thing about TrackMan, I think, is that if you give 10 different people a TrackMan and just tell them to go away with a series of clubs and balls, they'll come back with 10 different golf swings and probably 10 quite good ones quite possibly because the mm. TrackMan will tell them that didn't work. They'll try something else that did. So that it's not trying to get the uh, club here. Uh, it's, uh,
1: yeah. A hundred percent, you know, you, you're focusing your attention on, on something that will absolutely influence your improvement or not as a golfer. Yeah. You know, you, You could see on video that your elbow's flying and you could work for 12 months on tucking that elbow in on the backswing and downswing. It may, it may help your impact factors. Probably it won't, but if you go straight to the source and you, and you sort of say, well, right. Okay. What's happening at impact? You focus on impact. You know, Gary will say, Gary would say this, you know, Co-author, the number of times he's, he's had people just working on some impact factors and a presto, they, they, they actually end up in a better backswing position because uh-huh. the brain works out that to get the club moving better through impact, it would, it would, stand, it would make sense to, to, to move the club from here rather than from here. So, you know, it's kind of like going directly to the source of the problem rather than sort of 10 streets away. Trying to trying to solve the issue, you get into the scene of the crime. Cart before the horse sort
0: of idea, in some ways, isn't it? It's, yeah, the yeah, the yeah. tools don't change. Just if you put them in the wrong order, it's very hard to get the right answer with uh, with Completely. what you're looking for. Do we take the game too seriously, Carl? I often wonder this.
1: Yeah, I think um, you know it's become more apparent for me, Rod, as we've as we've written the books that the concept of time. Is is so important. Um, there was a chap called Richard Richard Bandler um, who, who invented a, a therapy called NLP way back in the seventies. And one one of the things, yeah, one of the things that Bandler said always, or more recently, there's a various things has, has had a, a, a big resonance for me. And he said, he said that perhaps the greatest delusion that human beings have. Is that they think they're eternal? They think that there's always going to be another round to play. They always think there's going to be another season, another year, another opportunity. And yet, you know, who's to without sounding maudlin and, and, and dark? Who's to know if the next round of golf is going to be yeah. the last round that you ever play? And I think you know, when we get our head around that, if if you if you actually were going out on a golf course and God forbid you knew it was the last round that you would ever play, I think your approach to that day would be very different than, than, than your current experience. I think you would probably really savour the, the people that you were with. You would really engage in conversation. You'd really engage in the beauty around you and the surroundings. And I know, I know this sounds a bit soft and fluffy, but the thing what, that I've found more and more over the past number of years is is when people are in a state of, of gratitude for the game, when they're in a state of appreciation for the game, they're actually creating the very best conditions to allow themselves to play well. It's, it's this again. It's it's rever- reverse engineering. It's the paradox of, I call it going first, because the big illusion and I'm about taking it seriously is that the real the real seriousness comes from. I'll be happy. If I can produce a low score, I'll be happy if I hit good shots. I'll be happy if I get my handicap down. I'll be happy if I can get onto a particular tour. Well, actually, if there's one thing after 30 years of coaching that I know for certain is that you won't be. You won't be happy when you get those those things if that's the way that you think. By going first, he's saying, Do you know what? I'm going to really appreciate the fact that I get the chance to play golf today. All the things that have to conspire for me to go on a golf course, I've got to be healthy. That's number one. The, the golf course, the, the work that's gone into it, the people I'm playing with, all of those things have to happen for me to go and hit some golf balls today. And the more, that the more that you're in that state of mind, I think the more conducive it is to freedom of motion, is to creativity, all of the things that we've talked about. You know, I've, I've spoken with a lot of ex-sportsmen and women over the years, you know, cricketers and footballers, virtually to a, to a, to a man and a woman, they, they, all, they all sort of say, I would love to just be able to pull the pads on again. I'd love to go out on the field and just play the game. They don't necessarily miss the sort of buzz of competition, not everybody, but I think most of them miss the actual playing of the game. You know, and the opportunity to play the game, it's a it's a fleeting moment in time for us all. And I think the more we the more we tap into appreciation and gratitude, that the more the experience. Going back to the first question that we've talked about, why do I play the game? When you can tap into those things, I think you're getting really close to the source of some potential magic. The truth of golf is that it's a jaw-dropping
0: luxury, isn't it? Yes. The space and the resources that it uses, and we see this. There's pressure on courses in urban areas, in particular worldwide. People are starting to look from outside the game and saying, hang on a minute. How come you've got all of that space for just the few of you to use? Now, there's a lot of straw man arguments, and I'm a campaigner for public golf. I think golf's more important than people realise, as is it's no more or less important than any other sport, that we support but it has a bad image but golfers i don't think we've developed a sense of entitlement in golf and i think you see that at every level of the game from the local club member to the pga tour professional the sense of entitlement of what you should expect in a perfect bunkers and amazing condition golf none of which actually really adds to the experience ultimately of what golf could and should be you would be familiar with mike clayton Yes. Touring professional for 25-odd years, which is an extraordinary thing to do, to make a living playing golf for the best part of three decades. decades—is quite amazing. And Great I didn't realise how amazing until I one day played with him and you just gobsmacked. It's like you've never seen anything like it. You, know, you suddenly realise how yeah. good those guys are. Uh, he often gets into trouble for saying it, and I've got into trouble for saying it too, that we would all benefit from playing less with the scorecard in the pocket and more for the joy of the shots. Yes. Just playing the shots. Talk about that a little bit. Can that reconnect people? I think most of us start from a position of joy. You hit that first shot out of the middle and the feeling is amazing. You hit that first chip shot that lands and does what you expected, but like the putt and finishes near the hole and the satisfaction's amazing. Somehow we play through that to a point of how many golfers do you know who spend most of their time miserable about the game? I've been guilty of it myself.
1: How do we get that joy back? Because it's, ultimately- such impo- it's, such, it's such an important point, this Rod. I mean, we could we could do a whole podcast on on this. I think this this very subject because you, you, what you said there is is a hundred percent correct. Every, every one of us got hooked on this game because we had we had an, an experience in the present moment. By that, I mean, by that, I mean that we that we were taking out onto the pitch and put, or we were taking out onto the to the range or whatever, and and some some time in the early part of our golfing experience, we moved our body, we 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 used a tool in our hand, and we connected with a golf ball. And that made us feel good. It, 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 it resonated through our body like a like a tuning fork. Something inside felt really good, physically about, as well as otherwise. Isn't it? There's a physical sensation that there's a there's a there's a, there's a, there's a literal visceral yeah physical sensation of you know you've you've, you've yeah. found the middle of the club with the you've hit the middle of the ball with the middle of the club yeah. and and away it's gone. So you, you've you've been you've been immersed in a, in a, in a in a very current experience you've been you've been that got that golf shot absolutely grounded you in the present moment that happened right there and then then now if we look at the progression from that is what happens to a lot of golfers is that they love the game they take up for the game in search of that feeling they they, they love that, that visceral sensation of moving the body producing golf shots and what happens? Well, they, they play and they get better. They improve. And as they improve, people start to say, oh, look, look at that guy Rod there. He can he can really play. His handicaps come tumbling down. How good is that? And what starts to happen, then, <clears throat> then the ego starts to get strokes. It starts to feel good about what other people think about your golf, what other people think about your game. And we then then get drawn into Pandora's box where very slowly but surely we end up playing what I call this for that. And what that means is that this round of golf is is for that that I think the future is going to bring to me. So this round of golf today is all about that handicap reduction. This round of golf today is all about that check I'm going to win on the tour. This round of golf is all about that major So now we're not in the experience anymore. We're not in the experience of playing the shots. We're actually in the experience of what our perception of the future is gonna bring for us. And that's the trap that we fall. And that's when it can become a miserable experience because you've, you've lost that connection with this shot in this moment. I know that's a cliche but you've lost connection with the reason why you got into the game in the first place. And now it's all about a perceived future that you think is going to make you happy. Now I think the truly great players and, you know, some would argue it's easy to do that when you've got millions of the bank. I think the truly great players go back in the sense that, yeah, they're trying to win the majors. They're trying to win the masters, but they are absolutely alive to this shot in this moment creating this particular shot in this particular moment so you know long-winded answer to your question but but yeah I couldn't agree with Mike Clayton more you know to 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 go out there and and without the scorecard occasionally and and be out there just giving yourself permission to create shots go out on the golf course with only five clubs three clubs Mm -hmm. go out with one club you know, play play the golf course completely differently. It's a seven iron off every tee, so that you're going in with longer clubs than you've ever gone in with, and so you can play nine holes fading it, nine holes drawing it. There's a, there's a million things that we talk about in the books about creativity that can connect you back. Now, again, we've touched on this. There's a reverse engineering element to it that I think probably the best way to to, to lower your scores. It's just to be so engaged in creating each individual shot that when you, when you add them all up at the end, the numbers will probably be pretty, pretty productive for you. Yeah. Good luck convincing most golfers of that. Carl, I'm sure you spent 30 years
0: trying to. It's funny, you know, I've, and I've often thought this, Tiger's best golf always came, you could always tell when he was playing his best because he had the childlike responses. Yeah. The, the, the overhyped fist pumping and the reactions to some of the shots weren't. I've won, they were, look at me, mum, look what I can do. Isn't this extraordinary? I think Rory's a fantastic ad. Putting aside his comments of a couple of weeks ago when he won and said, I finally realised I just need to be me and that's good enough, which is telling in itself. You know when Rory's playing well by watching him walk. When he is bouncing, give him the trophy. Just give it to him now. Nobody can touch him. When he's working at golf, he's not hopeless, but he's not Rory. He's nothing like the Rory that we've seen. That is a, it, it's childlike to watch. It must be childlike for him to be in that bubble, I would imagine. That must be so hard to do in that arena, I would imagine. But you're right. I think then Sebi was the same too. Childlike responses to the, all the amazing shots came with child, not childish, childlike responses. Touched a nerve somewhere deep that's, not about being grown up and having managers and contracts and all the others. That's why you play the game, to hit that shot and say, hey, look what I just did. It's
1: incredible, isn't it? I think the key thing that you just said there, Rod, is to be childlike and not childish. <laughs> That's you right. know, ch- child Childish is wanting the world to bend to your whims and desires, you know, that the ball – you know the number of times I hear golfers say, "I shouldn't, I shouldn't have dropped a shot there, or I shouldn't have three putted, or you know, I, I blew this, or you no, know, it, it, you know, it just that's the game. It, it it just happened to be to be childlike is to be fascinated by something. Watch it, watch, you know, why 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 do we in a way why do we gain this supposed intelligence that robs us of the most yeah. amazing learning tool that any human has, which is attention. If you've got if you've got if you're fully engaged with something, whether it be a conversation like this, whether it be a meal, whether it be a painting, whether it be a cricket match, whether it be a golf shot, if you're completely engaged and fascinated, you know, you you can see a kid who's fascinated by you know, a a little piece of plastic or a a shopping bag or a shoe or something like that. And, you know, they're just, for that moment, they're absolutely completely absorbed in, 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 you know, whatever's right in front of them. We, 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 we lose that. We lose that when the ego gets involved. And it, as I mentioned, it becomes this for that. It becomes about what the future will bring as a result of me hitting good golf shots. I'll, um, I've I've told told the story you know a number of times that I've been fortunate to work with some players who've won major trophies you know and I mistakenly believed in my playing days that that you know if you won a major trophy god you surely you'll wake up happy for the rest of your life you'll draw the curtains back and the, you know it'll be sunny in your mind every single day well I've seen it you know I've seen players win majors as wonderful as that is and and, and they'll always have those memories a week later, you know, stuff's got to be dealt with. You know, you've got to you've got to deal with a plane that's late, or you've you've got to deal with a, a a contract that didn't come through. And and you know, no, it doesn't it doesn't bring you everlasting happiness. So it's 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 almost a great delusion, really. There's a there's a wonderful piece. Um, I'm sure you've read the book, Rod, um, the, the inner game of golf, that was written in the 70s by Tim Galway. Um, you know, for anybody listening listening to this, read the lost art books. But if you don't read the lost <laughs> art books, read, 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 have a look at the inner game of golf and just think this guy, Tim Galway, wrote these books in the in the mid-70s. I mean, they were f- 50 years ahead of the time. And a lot of the things that he talked about have been proven to be so true. But there's a great passage in the inner game of golf where he talks about Galway was, was a, a um, perfect Liberty golf club in Malibu, California, and, he, and he's walking through. He, he, he'd blown a round of golf. He, he'd had a chance to shoot his best ever nine holes, and he was walking through the gardens, and there was a Japanese monk tending, tending the gardens, and and they engaged in conversation. And um, the monk said to Galway, he said, he said I, I believe that you, you're writing this book, and I believe that you, you, the, that your idea is that you use the brain more than the arm. And Galway said, no, he said, he said, I believe in using both the brain and the arm. It's physical and mental. But he said, with less ego interference. And the Japanese monk looked at him, he said, he said, that is the key. He said, we have a we have a saying called utmost sincerity. And utmost sincerity is when you stop trying to be anything, when, when there's when there's no more images to live up to, there's no, there's no more, there's no more. Ego involved. You just you're just in a state of being. You're in a state of being yourself and comfortable with yourself. And that 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 wonderful passage in the book, utmost sincerity. It's worth buying the book just for that because I think what utmost sincerity does, Rod, is connect us right back to what you were alluding to earlier with Mike Clayton of of just being out there, just being out there, creating golf shots, just being out there, engaged in the experience of the game. But again, by doing that not only does your experience improve but also the quality of your golf shots tend to improve as you go i was reminded
0: of david Duval. You was talk while well, you were talking there who famously won the the open with uh, mm. them and kind of had the motive the next day well is that it yeah is that it? is that all of that effort and all of that energy and all of that focus and all of that attention and i've done it now it would be a horrible thing to admit to yourself and frankly it's quite disappointing
1: can you imagine that? I mean, Ian Woosnam. Ian Woosnam said to me years and years ago. He said, "You know, his driving force from being a kid was to be world number one." <laughs> and he said, "When he actually became world number one, it was a really depressing day for him." What's left to play for? What's left to What's left to play for? What's What's the next thing to 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 live up to? Um, you know. So I, I, as as we've done today, I think you can you can go into some really deep and philosophical. Avenues of exploration with the game, but that's why that's why the game is so magical. Is it still as fascinating, Carl?
0: After all this time,
1: for you, it is probably more more fascinating than than, than ever. Right? I mean, it's. Um, I, I think this, this, some of the things that we, <coughs> we we alluded to earlier on, you know, about um, gratitude and, and, and appreciation. You know, there's been some uh, some. Challenges for myself. My mother passed away a couple of years ago. I've had some health challenges myself recently, culminating in in heart surgery out of the blue. And my goodness, when you go through those experiences, you shouldn't you shouldn't take those experiences to really really make you think about you know the meaning of, of life, I suppose, and the, and the meaning of the game. But uh, yeah, it's 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 an endless fascination, and it and I think I think what we what we don't appreciate enough is things like this is 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 a conversation with a like-minded soul who's 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 prepared to have a conversation a, a, a bit a bit deeper than you know what'd you shoot on the first team <laughs> yeah what'd you shoot what, you know what, what you know have you got your handicap down what clubs do you what clubs have you got in your bargain titles four you know <laughs> that's the whole yeah. conversation
0: for some people around the golf yeah. isn't it I'm using a yeah. yeah.
1: four yeah. it's not the case for everybody, is it, Carl?
0: You would have met extremely good players for whom golf is just a perfunctory matter. They're good at it. They can make a living doing it, and they don't think about it anymore, do they? And their real passions are elsewhere, fishing and you know, real estate, whatever it might be. I'm always fascinated by that, but how you could – there are so many of us who spend all of our lives never getting any better than double digits, despite devoting enormous chunks of time and energy, possibly misplaced, whatever it might be. Maybe some of us just aren't capable of getting any better, and some just pick it up and can do it and have no appreciation for that. I'm always fascinated by that. In some ways, I'd like to be like that.
1: It would be easier, wouldn't it? I, I I don't think I I don't think I would like to be like that. I, I, you're absolutely right, and I've I've known some players on the PGA Tour, the European Tour, who have made millions. That they're just good at the game. They find a way of getting the ball around the golf course, but they don't they don't really enjoy it. They don't really enjoy the experience, and you know they give up the game and they go as you said they go into real estate, or they go into other areas or whatever. You know when ultimately when we you know when when we get to the point where we're we're, we're on our deathbed looking backwards um if if this 20 million dollars in the bank but it's really been a, a an unfulfilling experience to to get to that point would, would you would you have a smile on your face you know i i, I don't know this these, these these are things for every individual to consider and, and mull over but you know, is, is part of the joy of it if you're a double digit and you've never got lower than that. The the engagement with the struggle, trying to master a game that you've never mastered, being okay with the unpredictability of it all. But I think, you know, I'm remi- I'm reminded of um, and, and this is this is really waxical in a in a, in a, in a waxing, waxing lyrical in a in a philosophical way. I'm reminded of a story that it was told by uh, Winston Churchill's daughter. And um, she said, towards the end of his life, I think he was on the Isle of Wight in a, in a in a in a care home. And what she used to do every day, apparently, she would she would wheel him out um, in the garden, the beautiful gardens overlook the sea, um, and and the, and the sea for obvious reasons, and the Isle of Wight, the, the English Channel had very special evocative memories for, for Winston Churchill. And what she what she noticed every day. She said she would wheel him down there and he would he would sort of close his eyes. And, and more often than not, she'd actually see tears rolling rolling down his cheeks. And she asked him one day, she said, Dad, what, what what's going on when you when you when I take you to this look at the sea and you close your eyes and you start to you start to cry? And he said, he said, Don't worry. He said, those are tears of joy. He said, I'm just looking back on a wonderful life. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that
0: would be but that we should all have that experience at the
1: end wow. of it all. You know, the the, the the bath chair moments at the end, I mean, that's, you know, a life, a life well lived, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. Why the lost art
0: of, Carl? The title's interesting. It tells us something, doesn't it? Why the lost
1: art? Because of, you know, we've we've we've, we've touched on it today, Rod, the, 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 the overemphasis of... What's the opposite of art? I suppose it's not the opposite, but the other end of the scale is science. We, we've become very information-driven, very analysis-driven, very technical, very scientific, and all of that has its place. But I think it's been at the expense <clears throat> at the expense of the art of the game. So that somewhere along the line, the artists, the sevies. You know, the, um, the Trevinos, the art, the real genuine artists have got lost somewhere along the line. And, you know, we're not saying science isn't valuable. We've alluded to science today, you know, with the, with the, um, with the track man and things like that, with the launch monitors, very valuable. But don't, don't go so far that you lose the art of the game, the, the creativity element of the game. Um, that's what we feel has been lost. Is, is basically an overemphasis on science. Dare I say it out
0: loud, Carl?
1: Because we're both in it.
0: But is the business of golf, ironically, working against the
1: game of golf in many ways? I, I, I believe hundred percent it is. You know some of the some of the things that we've that we've touched on today. Or, you know, Mike Clayton suggesting go out on the golf course without the scorecard well that you know Sandy, Sandy Jameson teaching beginners with one club and getting them out onto the golf course as, as quickly as possible 15 minutes you know, the, 15 minutes 15 minutes yeah a no series what, of clinics what,
0: in that It's <laughs> not fifty dollars yeah, a yeah. clinic over six weeks for that
1: exactly you know there's a there's a there's a there's an um, economic cost if you like. To connect him back to the art of the game, there's there's, a, there's an economic conundrum, and I, that I'm fully aware of. You know that the the economic model of golf, in terms of instruction, is at the current the current model, pretty much practiced across the world, with with notable exceptions, is a kind of McDonald's approach. Of there's a there's a mat on it. On <clears throat> there's a mat in an environment that bears no resemblance whatsoever. To the conditions that you play the game in, <laughs> but on that mat, on mats you can get <clears throat> you can get a number of people, and so you can you can you can feed people through in a kind of like battery hen situation where they come to the mat, hit balls for a period of time. There's a there's a charge for that, and then the next one comes along, or there's a group of players or whatever, <clears throat> you know. And, and I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that's wrong. I, I'm fully aware of, of the you know, the economics and, and the, the requirement for people's jobs and livelihoods and all the rest of it. But if we're really looking very deeply at this, at the heart and soul and the spirit of the game, is that the most conducive thing to real fulfilment and enjoyment? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But, there's a, but there is a, a huge e- economic problem with, with connecting more people to the spirit of the game. Science sells, theories sell, equipment gadgets that people strap on their bodies that you know if you read if you read any kind of motor learning research strapping gadgets onto your body trying to put your body into various positions and hoping that that'll take take that'll come with you onto the golf course is is a flight of fancy at at the the, flight of fantasy at the best but these are all economics you know that you know, we look at the commercials. I've got the secret. This is something that you don't know that if you do this particular move in your swing, you will just be the most consistent golfer all the time. And we still fall for it. Of course we do. You know, I still I, 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 still, I, I still, look at that. I still look at stuff like that where you've got somebody saying, I've got the secret. I've got the secret. I'll tell you in a minute. <laughs> I've got right. the secret. I'll tell you in a minute. I've got the secret. And I, and I, and I watched the thing, the thing the whole way through and I think, yeah. Jesus, even though I know a lot of this stuff, I think I've been drawn in again because it's so seductive to the ego and to the intellect. How does
0: this sixty-five-year-old man with a twice broken back and two missing legs hit at three hundred and fifty every time he tees it up? Watch on, and you'll find out. It's like, okay, I'm all in. I need to see this.
1: <laughs> he never, he never misses a shot, you know. And it, and and you see that you see that you know the the infomercial there, and he's it, virtually saying that you know, this particular move in my golf swing not only has it improved my golf, but you know, I'm, I'm better in bed.
0: Food tastes better.
1: It, it, my my body yeah, shapes improved. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've got a younger wife. The whole thing. I mean, yeah. it's just it's, as if, it's, as if that would by
0: default be a better thing, Carl, Not that you're it. suggesting that having a younger wife or something. Course, yeah, not, not, in the, not in the
1: slightest. <laughs> my exactly. wife's in the background there. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, but but yeah, it's 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 genius marketing, Rod. It's yeah. it's absolutely genius marketing. But it's it's very surface. And as as I said, there's there's a, there's a passage in one of uh, Fred Shoemaker's books. Um, it was a bit, Fred's been a big influence on me. You know the um, extraordinary golf and um, wonderful, wonderful man. He'd be a great guest for on, on your podcast if you've not already had him. But you know, f- f- Fred talks about can, can can we have genuine conversations? Can we go out on the golf course and, and have some genuine conversations that really mean something? You know, beyond the beyond the surface stuff, and and I think in a way, you know, back to Mike Clayton and go out without the scorecard. I think that that environment potentially presents an opportunity for real deep conversations, like we've hopefully had today. When when you're in the structure of on the tee, it's rod nine fifteen. Hit your ball. Next player, hit the ball. Hit the ball. Hit the ball. And nobody speaks to each other really for five hours. Did you just say good shot? Well done. Yeah, tough look, but you didn't deserve that three putt, you know, all that kind of surface stuff that really doesn't go anywhere. Small talk,
0: isn't it? Could the golf industry or what we're saying here to go really hippie, Carl, could the golf industry take a leaf out of the book we were talking about earlier, give up a bit of control to gain control? What we're churning out in some ways under the model that you're talking about is lots of people who have played and experienced golf, some of whom will stay with it what you're not really helping to create is golfers and ultimately the business of golf relies on golfers not people who play golf that sounds ridiculous i know but do you know what i'm saying there
1: absolutely yeah it's it, it it's kind of a it's kind of a more difficult but far more rewarding mm. way of of creating lots of genuine golfers who are absolutely passionate about the game who love the game who want to be out there who who, who will stay engaged with the game i mean my my concern, you know, I'm sure it's been the same in Australia as, it, as it's been here in, in in the UK, is that golf has had the most unbelievable. Considering it, it was in a lot of places, it was, and Sandy talked about this. Sandy Jameson talked about this on my podcast. Considering that the game really was on life support before the pandemic, yeah, very much. You know, the participation was down yeah. everywhere. Um, clubs were struggling. Mm-hmm you know clubs that 20 years ago that you would never have dreamt that you could get into these golf clubs unless you know you kind of you kind of knew the pope sort of thing yeah. that, that you wouldn't get you would never get anywhere near these clubs we're, were open waiting lists had pretty much disappeared joining lists joining fees had dis- pretty much disappeared the game was was if it wasn't if it wasn't dead it, it was it was in intensive care and then along comes this this thing, this this black swan that you know, not one person on earth could have forecast what we've been through in the last last two years. If you'd been reading a book two years ago that detailed <laughs> what we've all been through of human beings being cooped up in their in their own home, not allowed to go out for days and weeks and months on end, and being one wonder- everybody having face masks on and things like that. If you'd read that book two years ago you would have said it was the most far-fetched science fiction that you'd yeah. you, you, you put it down. So what the pandemic did, though, is create a unique situation for the game of golf in the sense that for most, most you know, Western countries, Australia, New Zealand, places like that, your first chance of getting back into some kind of sport, the gyms were still shut. Yeah. You couldn't go and watch rugby. You couldn't go and watch football. You couldn't play cricket. But golf, golf got opened up first, yep. and you know, in the UK, it's been unbelievable—the amount of clubs that have just been hundred new members, two hundred new members. You can't get in the clubs. You go to the ranges, and they're packed all of the time. That—that is—that is—that is like you've some some you know divinity gave yep. gave the game a heart gave gave the game a heart transplant, and said, "Okay, there you are." There's a few more years. My concern is as as we hopefully hopefully get back to some kind of normality in the next few years. Will all those players be retained? We, is the game, the big question for the game of golf, and this is probably the biggest question we've looked at today, is the huge question for the game of golf is can it retain golfers? Mm. Because as, as, as we get back to normality and you can go and watch cricket, you can go and watch football, you can go to the pub, you can go and have a meal, you can do all of those things, you can be in the gym. As all those other things compete for our attention, will the game of golf as it's currently presented, will it hold people's attention? It will, if they're, golfers, Carl, if, if, created, it will if they're golfers,
0: Carl. If you've created, if you've created golfers, it will. If you've serviced people who play golf, perhaps not. Exactly. That situation with golf pre COVID in very cold business terms was simply a rationalization, wasn't it? Golf as a business was failing its customer base and therefore was shrinking. It was no longer fulfilling the roles required of it. I think you're right. I think most of us in the game are concerned that what's happened is the COVID bump, let's call it, uh, has made a lot of people take a side of it and go, we don't need to change. And a lot of work that was starting to happen for the better of the game has now stopped again. We're back in a position where we can afford to. Golf got lost, I think, with exclusion. It went from being a game of inclusion in Scotland and at its roots and in most places here in Australia, I'm certain in a lot of places in the UK, to a game of exclusion. This notion that you can't get in here. This place is special. There's an Augusta syndrome about that. Augusta's special. The, the only way to guarantee to never become a member at Augusta National is ask how to do so. Yeah, you know, we sort of revere this notion. It's quite horrible. And it's ultimately, it's got to be, it's damaging to them. It's no surprise that people who love golf are passionate about it. It's no surprise that people who hate the game are equally passionate about hating it because we show a face to the non-golf public that is frankly offensive much of the time, <laughs> particularly if you don't mm-hmm. understand golf. And I wonder, I don't know if enough people in golf got enough of a fright pre-pandemic to take the opportunity of the pandemic. And take that second chance that the game's being given. It is under pressure in so many places. There's inner city courses in Scotland being closed. Scotland, the home of the game, and and
1: municipal yeah. courses closed closed all over the UK. I mean, yeah. in, in in Glasgow, I think pre pandemic, I think there was four public municipal golf courses that yeah. are closed at the yeah. whole at the, ho- at the home of golf. You know, the the participation levels in Scotland were, were just falling through the falling through the floor. Right. No no kids were playing. Kids. Kids would ridicule the game. It was just something, you know. As you say, it was in a way divisive. It was it was exclusive. It was all of those words that, you know, if you go back, if you go back to the, maybe the seventies and the and the eighties, a different kind of political era. That that you know there was a lot of exclusion in a lot of places. There wasn't there wasn't the uh, diversity that there is now, and and the focus on diversity and inclusion now then there is in society now so the old model of golf just doesn't fit that at all it it doesn't you know exclusivity um you know barriers to entry just does not fit with the with the more modern world and the the current generations that we've got now as you say rod you know what what do humans do more than anything else they revert back to type so we've been given this life support machine and 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 the patients up off the table but is he going to return back to his existing behaviours? What an interesting note to close on and ponder
0: as golf and its role in the world continues to evolve. That's it for episode 54, but make sure to come back for episode 55 when John Huggins sits down with one of the most interesting people in the game, five-time Walker Cup player and two-time amateur winner Peter McAvoy. I, I just think there's such an obsession with pro golf, you know, And I don't think that's the thing about golf. I think the thing about golf is people playing it. That's next time on The Thing About Golf.